Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Paul, who has founded a church, multiple churches, founded the church that he left Timothy in charge of to pastor. And he writes a letter to him to encourage him and give him instruction. And Timothy was learning from his mentor, Paul. And uh, Paul writes to him about the church and says this in 2 Timothy 2. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, the dishonor, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, And pursue, but pursue. In other words, change direction. And charge after righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. It's a very dangerous thing for people to start going off the rails in their own direction and uh, end up getting caught in the trap the enemy has set and then held captive to do what? His will. So what does that mean? That means somebody with good intent could end up be a servant of the enemy and doing harm and evil. So, Father, we thank you for truth. Your word is truth. I pray you'll deliver us from our old nature and its thoughts and emotions and help us to stand firmly and only on what you have delivered to us. That has the values that we need, principles we need for all life and godliness. Bless your word to us in that it becomes transformational in us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. You may be seated. How many desire to grow and mature in the Lord? How many? Who wants more of the Lord? Yeah, the Word of God speaks of growing in the greatness in the kingdom of God. So watch, in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor in a great house. We're blessed at Calvary Christian Center. This is a great house. Amen? Amen. It's a great house of God. And everything raised in a great house is not automatically great. It's one thing to have great parents. That doesn't mean you're great. It's wonderful to be connected to a great corporation and company. doesn't mean you're great. You can be part of a great house great church, great family, even a great company, it doesn't mean you're great. It's on you whether you're gold or silver, whether you're adding to the greatness of that great house, adding to your family, adding to the company with which you work. You're either adding to your family's reputation or you are detracting from it. You are adding to the company or the corporation that you're with or you're detracting from it. You may belong to a great church, but Are you adding to its greatness? Because the scripture says in Ephesians 4 that all of us in any gifting that we have are to be contributors to the great work of the kingdom of God. And all of us are required 
to do our part and do our share of the responsibility. In doing that, then we have a great house. But sitting in a church is insufficient. We have to learn to add to the greatness of the house. Just being around greatness doesn't make one great. We have a great house. Great testimonies we've been hearing over the last several Sundays and weeks. That's awesome. But the goal of the church is making disciples, making great followers of Jesus. Our mission goes beyond us into our culture and our society. Some say, well, we shouldn't judge, pastor, or evaluate. Well, Jesus did, so let me explain to you. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Jesus evaluated John's life. None born of woman was greater. Jesus classified great and greater in John, none greater than John. And Jesus communicated there are varying levels of greatness and levels of authority in his kingdom, and that will be the way it is throughout eternity. And that's why that all the men should be to the first session of the new and revised version of Driven by Eternity because it really captures the importance and essence of what I'm teaching right at this point. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, his disciples, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So to be converted in that context means to repent and turn. The whole way of doing life, the way you think, is converted. All of a sudden, I start thinking biblically, not emotionally, to think differently. And the Word of God is designed to reprogram you to think God's thoughts, because these are God's thoughts put to ink and paper. So I'm speaking to some here at Calvary Christian Center in this moment of your season. Let's look at what greatness is not and what greatness is for a few moments. You might want to jot some of these down. First of all, greatness is not inherited. Greatness is not the result of your birth. You can be born high and still live low. You can be born low and you can live high. Dr. Stanley, who's pastoring back in Atlanta, was sharing earlier today how he was born in this little obscure town in Virginia. So nobody ever heard of it. I think it's called Ridge Fork. No one's ever heard of that place. It's got a little one railroad crossing and one little store. Said, but see, even though born low, God's lifted him up to high places in him. I was reading the book, started the book, the biography of Sheriff Clark from Milwaukee. And what a great story this guy has. Because he didn't grow up in the greatest of circumstances as a child. But nonetheless, God has elevated him to a national platform today. See, greatness is not inherited. You're not confined to the world that you've been born into. Your parents can be great, and you can choose a path of low living and less than wise decisions. Your father may have made bad choices. It may be a horrible character, but you can choose to be great. You are not disqualified from greatness because you were born to a heritage that was less than great. And God does not limit your ability to find greatness. You can grow into greatness, but you cannot inherit greatness. Second, greatness is not income. Some people have wealth, but they have not achieved greatness as defined by Jesus. Because there are two definitions and standards for greatness. 
the one of the culture that we're living in, and God's kingdom both define greatness differently. Neither is a person great because they are poor. Hmm. Some people think poverty is equated with greatness. If you have nothing and live poor, then you are great. Greatness is not wealth or poverty. Greatness has to do with character, not the amount of money that you possess. Greatness is not inherited. Greatness is not income. Your life is not summed up by the amount of possessions that you acquire. And third, greatness is not talent. Some people are excellent at doing something. doesn't mean they are excellent at being something. You can see this in the entertainment field, also in professional sports. Talented singers and musicians and athletes, it does not mean they are of excellent character. They do something great, but they're not great. They don't know how to be great. They've never been mentored or taught to be great. There's a difference between doing great and being great. And fourth, greatness is not popularity. There are people constantly creating drama and getting into the news almost on a daily basis. They have reality shows with really high ratings. And just because you've got a million followers on Facebook doesn't make you great. The sense of greatness is very self-leveling. When, you, when you're driven by your own nature to become great, it's self-leveling. Watch. The moment you attempt to do whatever to gain some popularity so others will think that you're great, that's the moment when, in God's eyes, you are diminished in your greatness. People who achieve greatness are those who do well at what they do, and others observe it, and they see the work, and they see the commitment and the level of their character. And when their name is spoken, then the response is, that's a great person. Greatness is not dependent on popularity. So don't sacrifice greatness for popularity. It's not an even trade-off. And fifth, greatness is not cheap. It will cost you something to be great. There is price for greatness. You can't be great at the expense of others. It will cost you time to be great. It will cost you energy. It will cost you investment. It will cost you study. It will cost you practice in getting up and going through the routine of something you've done so many times. You can almost do it sleepwalking, but you keep doing it over and over. You can't be great allowing someone else to do your work of developing your character and your skill set. You and only you can develop your character with God's help. See, it costs you. There's a price to pay. Never is greatness in any arena, whether you see that on the athletic field or in the entertainment world or in scholastics, never is greatness in any arena cheap. And six, greatness is not immediate. Greatness takes time to develop. You can't run into the phone booth and step out as Superman. It doesn't work like that in the kingdom of God. You don't become great overnight. You don't show up for church on Sunday and morph into a mature disciple. Some have attended church for years, and they make little developmental progress. There's no growth that's discernible. They're still in a clay form. They haven't become a vessel of honor. God's attempting to work in our lives. He puts us in a position where, as a piece of clay, he starts molding us and forming us and pulling out impurities and shaving off the parts that don't work in his kingdom. And if we'll allow him to do that, he'll shape us into a vessel that can be under fire and under great heat and pressure, becoming a vessel of honor. 
God's attempting to work. And you're in the right place, and you'll get there by his grace if you cooperate with him in the plan he has for you. But if you keep bucking him while he's trying to work on you, you're going to have a hard time ever getting to a vessel of honor. Becoming a disciple of Jesus takes more than one service a month. Isn't this fun? Yeah. That's why many never achieve their purpose. They have quit. They stopped growing. They've given up. My coaches in high school and college always made me play against players more skilled than me. It forced me to play better, to think about the next move I had to make. Otherwise, I would continue to embarrass myself. And I was not allowed to coast and remain on their teams. So not everybody got a certificate because we showed up and sat on the bench. We had to achieve in order to remain a part of the team. Great marriages don't develop overnight. And you can have a great marriage, but you don't acquire a great marriage overnight. Now, Pastor Jameson and his wife told me this morning they've been married 66 years. Awesome. Amen? Pastor Michael and Kirsten are celebrating their 13th anniversary. Awesome. But you don't acquire a great marriage overnight. Neither do you divorce because you're not getting along early on in your marriage. You're in the beginning stages. Too many give up way too quickly. Greatness is not common. Greatness distinguishes you in a crowd because of the way you act, your actions, your verbiage. You cannot achieve greatness coasting, unmotivated. A component of greatness releases the uncommon into your life because you put in the time that you rise to the top and are, it's observable in you. Seventh, greatness doesn't have to have the approval of everyone because there will be no greatness if you have to wait for the approval and understanding of everybody before you do it. Greatness being uncommon, therefore, you have to make decisions that not everybody agrees with because they don't see what you're looking at. Greatness forces you then to face criticism. And you cannot have the approval of everybody and be great. If you always have to be understood, if you have to have everybody always on your side, you become risk adverse. And there's no greatness in that. And eighth, because that guy that did that said, well, I don't want to take a risk. I'm going to bury what God gave me and leave it here so nobody will steal it. And then when he comes back, I'll just pull it out of the ground and hand it back to him. You know what Jesus called him? Wicked. Eighth, no one will be great living below their potential. Someone else can do something, can be great, doing the very same things that you do. But you must develop your character and your abilities so you operate at your full potential. If I can do something better than I am currently, then I am not great. You can't believe one way and live another way and be great. Greatness is living what you believe, living out your potential. It's imperative and important that we continue to learn and grow. And nine... Number nine, hidden greatness is revealed during hardships. And we're finding out who our friends are. We're finding out who can be trusted. We're finding out we've got some people who are willing to break into homes while you're busy doing something to protect your family. We're finding out that that veterans get their medals stolen from them. Can you imagine this? 
But you're finding out who's great and who steps up. Because when the pressure's applied, whatever's in you comes out. And you don't know how great you are until you find yourself in a hard spot. That's where greatness is revealed. Hidden greatness always rises to the occasion. When there's greatness God's been developing in you, and there's a moment where stressors, stressors are involved and pressures are applied, that greatness will rise to the surface. There was a multimillionaire back in the south, uh, south, coasts, south coast areas of, of our country, down around the panhandle of Florida, moving on into Alabama, a multimillionaire hosting a barbecue. And this millionaire loved alligators because there's lots of them in that part of the country. And uh, one of my business associates back there in the, in the retention pond on his property, there was a gator that was in there. And his little eyes had popped to the surface every time a car would park, see if you're going to bring him something to eat. And that's illegal in the state of Florida to do that because they'll eat you if they get an opportunity. So this guy loaded his pool in his backyard with several different alligators. And some of his friends came over, and they were conversing and, and having a kind of a business barbecue and talking life and business. And they walked over to the pool, and it was pretty well gated in. And, and some of them started, what, what is the deal? You got alligators living on your property? How can you do that? What's the deal with this? And he said, well, courage is important to me. He said, and I have a standing challenge. Anyone who has the courage to jump into that pool that I've created for those gators... I'm going to give him $1 million. Well, they all began to turn and walk away from the pool that he created just for the gators, and suddenly they heard a splash. They looked, and there was one guy in there swimming like Michael Phelps, like a torpedo, <laughs> through the water. Gators were snapping, and their tails were popping, and he swam across the other side, and he hopped out. And the millionaire ran over and grabbed him and said, that's the most courageous thing that I've ever seen in my life. How did you do that? The man said, all I want to know is, who pushed me in that pool? <laughs> Greatness is not something you wake up to one morning. Okay? Greatness is revealed in hard times. You don't know what you have. Amen? Number 10, to be great, you have to be teachable. Oh, mm-hmm. Word says that the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But he who heeds counsel is wise. Say, I must be teachable. If you don't listen to teachers, the result, a fool. I've been teaching on Wednesday nights, and uh, one of the topics I covered this last week was Belshazzar. Belshazzar was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had some very hard lessons he had to learn, and they were very difficult to learn. But at the end of the day, Nebuchadnezzar finally bowed his knee before God and surrendered his life to the one true God. But Belshazzar's grandson inherits his throne and does not want to learn one thing from his grandfather. He could have learned lessons that would have prevented his kingdom from being overthrown because his grandfather had made similar mistakes. But there are concepts that God gives us commands to do in his word, and one of them is found in Job. It says this, Ask the former generations and find out what their fathers learned. For we were born only yesterday, and we know so little. <laughs> Is that not true? Amen. <laughs> Amen. But we think we know everything. Okay. I have to be teachable. And there will never be any growth and maturing without being teachable. And you never come to the place where you cease learning. You're, it's done in your life when that happens. 
You learn from God's word. You learn the skill sets that God's given you. You keep improving them. You keep getting better at what you do. You keep learning to do it a better way, a more efficient way. You must desire to know more. Those who achieve greatness want more, and they're learning all the time. And those highly skilled at what they do, they're never satisfied with what they know. They never hear enough or acquire enough information. They are constant learners. And you will learn one of two ways, mistakes or mentors. Who is your mentor? What qualifies them to be your mentor? You can keep being stubborn and proud, or you can get mentors in your life who've already traveled along that road and done what you're trying to do. Because they've learned the pitfalls, they know the hiccups, and you will learn through either mistakes or through mentors. Let me encourage you to get godly mentors and go to them with a humble attitude. Even if you have to get them online and, and say, hey, I need to make an appointment with you, let's go do lunch, and I'll pick up the tab because you have information I need. Otherwise, I'll just have to learn the hard way and keep, I don't have enough time in my life to make all the mistakes necessary to teach me what I need to know. So let me learn from the mistakes of others and speed up the process of learning, right? The word says this, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. I need that. Morning by morning, he awakens my ear to hear. People who become great, listen. They lean in. They're teachable. They don't become defensive and tick when someone who's been down the road before them says, that needs some correction. That's not a good idea. Do you have the right spirit when someone corrects you and teaches you? And that's what Paul was telling Timothy. This is part of your job. You're a pastor. You have to correct. Because everybody will say to you, I have a teachable spirit until someone says, no, that needs to be done this way. (laughs) Then we see if you're teachable or not, if you have a teachable spirit. In our world today, most fail the test right here. That's where the failure comes. They will not accept correction. And to be great, you have to be able to receive correction. Receiving correction is not just hearing it. Receiving correction is hearing it and then going and implementing it. It's not muttering under your breath, who is he or she to tell me? Learn how to apply correction and thank God for it. Those are the most important lessons I've ever learned in my life is listening to my mentors, those who were in position to give me direction and correction. And I do not remember the name of one of those silly teachers who never held my feet to the fire and let me do whatever I wanted to but I can name the names of those who said, no, you're not going to do that in here today. I remember them because they taught me how to pay attention and to focus and to learn. It'll save you a lot of pain later when you try to continue that lifestyle outside the classroom. In the New Testament, the Greek word for correction that Paul used when writing to Timothy is defined as if resetting a broken bone, not a fracture, a total break and resetting it. And it's not pleasant when they have to do that. And the Greek indicates it makes your soul feel bad when there's correction. That's the implication of what Paul wrote to Timothy. The church definition, it hurts my feelings when you said that to me. 
Better learn this lesson receiving correction without getting your feelings hurt. And put your feelings in subjection to the truth of God's word. And learn. And learn. You know how many people are struggling today and never achieved their purpose because no one corrected them? Or when corrected, they wouldn't receive it? Do you know how many people are in prison? People who had tremendous gifts, but they never achieved their purpose because they were never open to correction. And when the correction came, instead of accepting it and learning, they decided to bucket and challenge it and argue. It's a blessing when God brings someone into your life who speaks to the weak part of your life, who you can trust and they, they can look at you and say, this is an area you need some help with. All of us must take our Isaac to the altar. And until you're willing to bring your Isaac to the altar, you will deal with improper motivation because it seems good in your own eyes instead of in the eyes of God and those he's placed over you in ministry. There are times we've had to sit people down for a while. Gifted people, talented people, people who could make a difference but needed correction but will not heed counsel. Nope. And though they had the potential to be great, they've got a heart problem. Sometimes God will challenge you to lay that gift on the altar. That's your Isaac. Well, I'm here in the church not just to use my gift. I'm here in the church because God planted me here And this is where I'm supposed to learn and to grow with this body of believers so that we can function together, each part contributing to the other so we move so beautifully that the world steps up and takes notice. When your motive is right, God can release your gift in the body. An improper motivation in your own agenda will cause you to acquire unhealthy attitudes. How do you know if someone has a good spirit about them? You can rejoice when God uses someone else. That's one indicator. Until you can rejoice when God uses someone else in the thing you wanted to do, until you can get there, you're not ready. That's ouch. And some of those ouches are important to have in our lives. Until you can see God give what you were dreaming of to someone else, and you rejoice with them, then your spirit needs some correction. Say to your neighbor, it's tight, but it's right. (laughs) When God blesses someone else and they got the solo, (laughs) they were tapped for a position. Until you get to rejoice with them, then you're in competition with them. And when you can't cheer someone else on, it diminishes you inwardly. That's not greatness. It's not about you. It's not about your train filling the temple. Tell the truth and shame the devil. Amen. Some think we can't function unless they're here. I just explained that every part of the body is essential and important. And every part of the body functioning, thank God it's beautiful. And we love that. And we're striving to get everybody in that place. All of us have a responsibility. And all of us are needed. And I love every single member of our church. I thank God for every single one of you. And every one of you is needed. All of you are needed. Because God planted you here. But if you go sideways when corrected. Or your motives are not on track. We're still going to be blessed of God. Even if you don't want to play. So I speak that truth in love. Because God's our source. 
This is God's church. All of us belong to him. So when one thinks it's their train filling the temple, not God's glory, but your train, well, I'm not going to give if you don't do what I like. The only person hurt is you, and your spirit is diminished, and greatness will elude you. Well, I don't like that, so I'm not going to hold my tithe back. Well, watch who gets diminished. You're appreciated in the body of Christ, but this is God's church. It's not mine. It's not yours. People today come and go in churches, but God said, I will be your source. Man is not our source. God is. So I'm not preaching at anybody, but the Holy Spirit is reading somebody's mail. A bad attitude will prevent you from achieving your purpose. How do you wake up in the morning? I'll tell you a little bit about whether you're driven by your emotions or driven by the Word of God living in you. How do you wake up? It's going to be a bad day. What's the bad report we're going to hear on the news? Somebody left me a text and said, we're going to all drown by 10 o'clock this morning. (laughs) You're angry at everybody. Start yelling and spewing and steaming, smoking. Or do you get up like this, by the word? This is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be... I am healthy because my healer walks with me. Listen, I am his child. I'm an heir and joint heir with Jesus. I am chosen by the Lord himself to serve him. I have, I have great opportunities in front of me because the Lord has planned my day and ordered my steps. And the enemy that comes against me has already been defeated and the Lord and I are going to win through the battles I face today and walking by the mirror on the way out of your room and go, and I look good today too. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Wow. How do you wake up in the morning? Some think their company can't make it without them. That's an attitude of pride. And God always resists that and always is attracted to the one with a humble spirit. Number 12, greatness is revealed by the way you manage what God has given you. And and lack of greatness is revealed when you receive favor you're not prepared to manage. Now, many spend all kinds of time prepping for weddings in our culture today. They go shopping everywhere, and they go picking this out and getting that, and they get all these things arranged, and they're all stressed, and they're all wound up, and they're all, and they don't know how they're going to get there. They're on time. Little or no time preparing for marriage, and all this other time spent prepared for the wedding. Listen to me. You better get ready for the marriage. (laughs) Making money with no ability to manage that money, eh, ain't going to work. Greatness is reflected within the heart. You keep your word. You keep your word. By the way, when you get married, you're making a covenant with the person, and you're making a covenant before God. You keep your word. My dad did business like this many times on a handshake because he taught me by verbiage and by action. I keep my word. If it costs me money because I made a pledge or I gave a commitment, it's still going to be fulfilled. I'm not bailing on it because it didn't work out in my favor. I'm working. I'm going to continue to fulfill it because I shook his hand. And my name and my word are tied to one another because it's my character at stake here. Right. So we keep our word. We become teachable and humble. 
We treat others with respect. We act like Jesus when no one is watching, and we celebrate the success of others because if you're achieving, we're all achieving, and we praise God for it. And 13, greatness is a tool, not a weapon. In other words, if God granted you greatness in some area, how'd you handle it? How would you handle it? Some people, you can't put them in charge of the water cooler. They become like, run away from the water. Who said you're going to? Don't touch that. I've had some people we've, you know, we've nominate, nominated to, to leadership positions and turned out not too many, thank God, in 25 years. Less than you can count on five fingers. And, and uh, they looked to be great people until promoted. Then they began to think by being placed in those positions, that meant they had power over their pastor. We will tell him what to do. Being on the board biblically is serving, not ruling. They went from nice guy to beast mode. (laughs) Even Jesus had a Judas. And so that's the conversation he and I had to have about that matter. Um, I had one too, so don't complain to me. I had one too. It went to their head. Because all of a sudden, when given a, a, a great opportunity, if the heart wasn't ready, then what surfaced was not pleasing to God. It revealed the heart. Suddenly, they became the guard over the water cooler, over the pencils. Now we require a receipt if you borrow one. Great, listen, greatness is a tool you use to bless other people, not a weapon you use to put other people down. And all of a sudden, God were to bless you with favor. How would it affect the people around you? Horribly or great? Would you use your favor as a weapon or a tool to bless? When David became great, He could have killed off all the descendants of King Saul because God had decreed in his word that not neither him nor any of his descendants would ever rise again in the nation of Israel. And and he could have killed every one of them off, put them all out of the way. Saul was his enemy. He had put a hit out on David before he became king to kill him. And David said, now that I'm favored, now that I am the king, is there still anyone who was left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness? That's why God said of David, he's a man after my own heart. Because in spite of stuff that we've done, he has shown us favor. How can I bless him? And he brought that little boy who couldn't walk because of an injury into his palace. And he sat him down at his table that as long as I'm living as king, this place is yours. You eat with me at my table. You sit with me. David did not use his favor as a weapon. When God grants you favor, never use it to hurt anybody, to get even with people. Greatness does not do that. And last, greatness is working in your life when you release greatness in someone else. Andrew went and found his brother Peter Andrew was a follower of Jesus and introduced his brother Peter to Jesus. Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, Christ. And he brought Peter to Jesus. Peter became greater than Andrew in the scope of the church. He was called by Jesus the rock. He preached the first message of the church on the day of Pentecost. Greatness releases greatness in someone else. Elijah released greatness into Elisha. 
He performed twice the miracles as his mentor, Elijah, but not until greatness was released to him by Elijah. Andrew was good with Peter becoming great. Elijah was good with the request of Elisha to have a double anointing. Paul released greatness into his spiritual son, Timothy. Jesus was baptized by John, and John released greatness into Jesus and by saying, he must increase, but I must decrease. That's how it looks to be able to recognize greatness and favor in somebody else. Greatness does not undermine. It is not undercutting the characteristics of greatness and godly leadership. You maintain honor and respect. You thank God for the ability to pass along what God gave you to others that they might outshine you one day. In God's eyes, that's greatness. And when we submit ourselves to God and his word and his spirit, his character and fruit are manifested in us. We're submitted, we're teachable, we're humble. We love the Lord, we live for others. And out of that process, God is forming not a vessel of dishonor, on the potter's wheel. A vessel for honor, to honor the God that redeemed us. Jesus said, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Because in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, and some for dishonor. I don't want to just be in a great house. I want to be a person of character, a great husband, a great father, a great pastor, a great promise keeper, because greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. Can you stand and say thanks to the Lord, saints? Come on. Can you stand and say thanks to the Lord? And ask God for his favor in your heart, favor in your mind, for his kingdom. To become a difference maker, a person who lives for others. Because God's calling his people to greatness. This is a moment in time when the church has step up and show its greatness. And do you have a hunger for more? Because without a hunger for more, your greatness will be limited by your hunger.